So I encourage you to turn with me once again to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verses 13 and 14. And here the word of God tells us, consider the work of God, for who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, but in the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. This morning, we talked about the crooked work of God and how the difficult times in our lives are actually the work of God whether God specifically ordains it and brings it immediately to pass, whether he allows it, allowing individuals or circumstances to bring difficult times into our path. God is God over all. Tonight I want to hone specifically to the matter of the purpose of painful providence. So this morning, we considered the fact, we established, I hope, the fact that God's crooked work is a perplexing work. It's one that is beyond our ability to completely understand. It is a painful work in that it is crooked when we expect things to go straight. Life goes sideways when we expect things to go forward. We experience valleys when we might expect a smooth sailing or we might expect to have the mountaintop views, it is powerfully persistent in that this is a work of God. And no one can make straight what he has made crooked unless he allows it. We mentioned also that this crooked work of God is prolonged. It's not something that's just a temporary thing, that uh, things are a little bit uneven for us. We have a few bumps in the afternoon and then everything's resolved by that evening. This crooked work of God is considered a day of adversity. And the idea is a time, a prolonged period of difficulty. It is prolonged. It is also providential, which is to say that God is in control. His sovereign will is at work even in those painful and difficult times. And because it is providential, we can say with certainty that it is purposeful. God does not allow and ordain these things in our lives to no purpose. He has an intention in what he allows. I mentioned this morning a book that I am reading that I think is a very helpful book on this subject by a man named Thomas Boston. This was written back in the 1600s, and it is called The Crook in the Lot. And tonight, I want to think about how God has a purpose in the painful providence that he brings in our lives. And as we do this, I'm going to be making reference to some of the thoughts that Thomas Boston brings up in his book, as well as thinking about some things that he does not. If you remember this morning, as we looked at the fact that this is, that God's crooked work is a work of God, our application was, first, it is to the benefit of saints that they consider the crooked work of God 
and not ignore it. And our second application was, it is a comfort to the saints that the crooked work of God is ordained by God. So then, we considered the fact in broad strokes that God has ordained this painful providence and God is controlling it. His love sets the boundary of it. His power controls and directs these difficulties and his wisdom sets their purpose. So what purpose then does the Almighty God have in doing this crooked work in our lives? What is the purpose of his painful providence? Well, we are going to only begin to consider some of the things that God does through painful providence tonight. And Lord willing, we'll continue this next Sunday. But as we look at all the different ways that God works through painful providence, I want you to keep in mind these three things. So we're going to get, in a minute, we're going to list a whole, or we're going to go into thinking about biblically a whole bunch of different ways that God uses painful providence. But before we go there, I want you to keep these three things in your mind. First, it is vital that it is vital to trust that God has a purpose in our experience of painful providences. It is vital to trust that God has a purpose. In other words, if we experience life and the difficulties and the struggles of life, the crooked work of God, and we fail to even acknowledge that God has a purpose, we will be left in a very worse state. It is vital to trust that God has a purpose. The things that happen in your life are not just random. They are by God's allowance and by God's design. So first, it is vital to trust that God has a purpose in our experience of painful providences. Second, it is vital that we consider God's purpose in our experience of painful providences. It is vital that we consider God's purpose in our experience of painful providences. So this week and next, we will look biblically at a number of different things that God does through painful providences. And as we do that, I want us to keep in mind that we should evaluate what we are going through and ask ourselves, is this what God is doing in my life? So it is vital to trust that God has a purpose in our experience of painful providences. Second, it is vital that we consider God's purpose in our experience of painful providence. And third, it is vital that we submit to God's purpose in our experience of painful providences. It is vital that we submit to God's purpose in our experience of painful providences. So as we go through our life and the difficult times come, we have to first and foremost trust God has a reason for this. You lose your job, God has a reason for this. Your health goes down, God has a reason for this. You lose a loved one, God has a reason for this. 
You find yourself in a difficult financial position. God has a reason for this. Whatever day of adversity that you encounter, God has a purpose for it. Second, when you experience those times, it is vital that you think through and consider, is it possible that God is doing this in my life for this purpose? And third, when you have come to some clarity, which is not always possible, but when you come to some clarity about what God is doing, or if you don't, it is vital that you submit yourself to the painful providence of God. So with those three matters of ongoing application in our mind, let's think about some reasons for God's painful providence in our lives. First, examination. The first biblical reason why God may be bringing the painful providence into your life is the matter of examination. Thomas Boston worded this this way. He said, the trial of one's state. Specifically, what I mean when I'm talking about examination is I'm talking about God brings the difficult, painful things into our lives to see to help us see if our faith is real and genuine or if it is not. To show us if we truly are believers in Jesus Christ. How many a person, having experienced the difficulty of life, throws up their hands and walks away from God never to return. Our response within that trial reveals the genuineness of our faith or the lack of genuineness of our faith. Let me show you this in the scripture, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter, Peter begins by greeting his readers. And then he moves from there to begin to speak about the heavenly inheritance that is ours because of Jesus Christ. He talks about the fact that there is an inheritance, verse 4, that is incorruptible and undefiled. It does not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. In verse 5, he then says, who are kept, that is you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then he says in verses 6 and 7, and this is so key for us, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved through various trials, that the genuineness or, if you look in the King James, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tried by fire, may be found 
to the praise, honor, and glory, to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That word in verse 7 that the King James translates trial and the New King James translates genuineness is actually an interesting word. And there's a reason why there's actually two definitions that seem very different. The word actually has the idea, it's a combination of both genuineness and testing. Another way of, of, of translating it would be that the tested reality of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, the trial that you go through is precious, but what it reveals is even more precious because it reveals whether you are a true believer or whether you are not. This, then, is the trial of one state. How you respond to the trial that God brings into your life may reveal, will reveal, whether you are a genuine believer or not. Second, the second reason that God has for bringing the painful experiences in life, those painful providences, second, is salvation. And this is important. Salvation. The crooked work that God does may bring a man or woman to the end of themselves so that they can, so that they reach the point where they can only look to God. More than one Puritan of years gone by made the comment that God puts a man on his back so that he will look to heaven. And you think about how God did this in the past, how God used adversity and painful providence to bring about salvation in the life of his people. Think, for example, of the fact that God cast Saul from his horse so that he might raise him to life. God disabled Jacob when he wrestled with the angel of the Lord. He disabled Jacob so that Jacob might limp into God's kingdom. And how many people has, has this been the case where God has brought the difficulty, the crooked work into their life? And as they experience that difficult time and that, that, that thing that pressed them beyond their own abilities, they realize that they needed Christ. How often does God use, has God used the loss of a friend, the downturn of an economic situation, the loss of health, the bringing in of new levels of anxiety and depression to make a man or woman stop and say, I cannot do this on my own. How often has God used this to open a man or woman's eyes 
to the fact that they need Christ and that Christ is their only hope of salvation. And so God may bring this painful providence, the crooked work, the difficult time into our lives for the purpose of examination, to test us whether we are true believers. God may bring it into our lives for the purpose of salvation. God may, through that difficult time, turn your your gaze and focus to him so that you would seek salvation in Christ alone. A third reason that God brings painful providences, the crooked work of God, is conviction. Thomas Boston, in his book, referred to this simply as the conviction of sin. Let me show you an example of this in Scripture. If you have your Bibles there, turn back to Genesis 42. Genesis chapter 42. So in the book of Genesis, as we come to the end of the book of Genesis, we have the book focusing on the life of Joseph. And some of you remember what happened in Joseph's life. Joseph was hated by his brothers. They could not speak peaceably to him. He was daddy's favorite. They didn't like that. But they also didn't like the fact that Joseph one day went to daddy and told on them. And so when the opportunity arose, they took Joseph, they threw him in a pit They would have left him there to die, but then they decided instead that they would sell him into slavery. And so some slave traders were coming in caravan in that area. They lifted Joseph out of the pit and they sold their brother into slavery. How cold-hearted was that? And that is if that were not enough, they then covered his garment, that special coat that his father had given him, they covered that in animal's blood, took it home to their father and said, is this Joseph's coat? You know, we found it this way. And made their own father believe that Joseph was dead. Joseph is sold into slavery. He goes down into Egypt. He's sold there to a man named Potiphar. God is with Joseph. God gives Joseph favor with Potiphar, but one day Joseph's, sorry, Potiphar's wife decides that she wants to seduce Joseph. And when he will not respond to her advances the way that she wants, she accuses him of attempted rape, and he is thrown into prison. While they're in prison, God gives Joseph favor with the captain of the guard, and Joseph is lifted into a position of some authority, it seems, within the prison. There, Joseph is in prison for no good reason, earthly speaking, It comes to pass one day that the pharaoh's butler and baker are thrown into prison and they both have dreams. And so the question is, what do these dreams mean? And dreams were very important to people back then. They always assigned some sort of special meaning to them. Not always the case today. A lot of foolishness happens when people try to interpret dreams. But back then, these were actually dreams that God was giving them. And in this case... Joseph is able by God's power to interpret the dreams, and so he does that. You remember the story, the butler and the baker. 
The butler, well, I'm sorry. You're going to, sorry, the baker, I'm sorry, but you're going to lose your life. The butler, you'll be restored to Pharaoh. And then they forget about Joseph after this happens. Everything goes along. Pharaoh finally himself has a dream, a terrifying dream, actually two terrifying dreams. Joseph is able to uh, interpret those dreams by God's grace. He's lifted out of prison. He becomes the second most powerful man in Egypt. All of this is God's plan and providence. It doesn't happen by chance. God is in control. Well, Joseph now being advanced into power, he has said what we need to do is we need to save the plenty from the good years so that when the years of famine come, we'll have enough not only for Egypt but for the surrounding areas and we can sell that. The difficult times come, and that's where we find chapter 42. The difficult times come, and Joseph's brothers actually go down to Egypt because they hear that there is grain down there. They come down to Egypt. Joseph recognizes his brothers. They don't recognize him. Joseph actually ends up putting his brothers in prison after accusing them of being spies. He leaves them there for three days. He tells them, I want you to bring your youngest brother to me, and if you don't, you'll die. But in the midst of that, so this is, this is a painful time in the life of Joseph's brothers. Being in prison, not knowing what's going on, that's a painful time for them. Notice what this brings out, though. Notice what this difficult time brings out. It brings out conviction of sin. Look at chapter 42, verse 21. Then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother. For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear, therefore, this distress has come upon us. How often does God bring the difficult times into our lives and we ought to, in those times, examine our lives? It could be that by those difficult times, God is opening our eyes to our own sinfulness. Conviction of sin. By the way, this knowledge of sin continued in their difficult time. Joseph's brothers will eventually return with, uh, they will return with Benjamin, even though their father does not want them to. They will actually face a series of tests from Joseph. But in chapter 44 and verse 16, after Joseph puts his cup back into Benjamin's sack of grain, Joseph, Joseph essentially is accusing them. In verse 16 of chapter 44, Then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Not that they had stolen the cup. They were not guilty of that. They were innocent of that. But their conscience has been awakened to those sins that they had committed against their brother in the past. And they are feeling the weight of that conviction by God. Friends, when the, when the painful providences come into your life, 
have the spiritual sense to examine your life and to see, is God doing this so as to convict me of some sinful practice in my life? I'm not here saying that every time a difficult thing happens in your life, it's because you've sinned. This is one of God's purposes in bringing painful providence into our lives. But I think that a lot of preachers today are so concerned not to offend people that any time a difficult time happens in someone's life, they, they, they will never ever urge someone to examine themselves lest they offend them. And so God may use the painful providence in our lives for the purpose of examination to try whether we are truly a believer. He may use it for purposes of salvation to bring us to the end of ourselves and to seek Christ as our only, as our only hope. God may use it for purposes of conviction to convict us of sin. Fourth, God may use the painful providences of life for the purposes of correction. Not simply conviction to make us aware of our sins, but correction so that we might order our lives properly. Here's a quote from Boston's book. He says, this may be the case where sin is pardoned as to the guilt of eternal wrath as where it is not. In other words, God may use the painful providences of life for the purpose of correction in a believer's life as well as an unbeliever's life. And one may have confessed and sincerely repented of that sin which yet shall make him go haltingly to the grave, or halting to the grave. Halting is the, an old English word that meant limping. The results of our sin may make us limp until the day that we go to our grave, though it cannot carry him to hell. A man's person may be accepted in the beloved who hath a particular badge of divine displeasure with his sin hung upon him in the crook of his lot. See, when God brings upon us this difficult time, he may bring it as correction to get our lives right, or in a broader sense, as Thomas Boston would say, as punishment for sin. God punishes sin. God punishes sin in an eternal sense in hell. God punished sin in the, in the person of his son on the cross. But God also punishes sin in the sense of chastisement. God may bring that difficulty into our life, which may have a direct correlation to our sin. In some measure of punishment or chastisement for our sin. Psalm 99 verse 8. Let's turn there. I want you to see these passages. Not just have me read them to you. 
Psalm 99 and verse 8, I think expresses this truth well. Some people have a hard time understanding both. That God could forgive sins and yet also bring upon us punishment for our sins. Psalm 99 and verse 8. You answered them, O Lord our God. You were to them, and this is a translation, you were to them, God who forgives. So that's that's great. God answers his people. God forgives them. That's very true, and that's a wonderful truth for us to hold fast to. Now look at the rest of that verse. Though you took vengeance on their deeds. God may forgive us of sins for which we still have to deal with consequences. And how many people have found that to be true in their lives? Oh yes, they have repented. Yes, they've turned from that sin and yet the effects of that sin linger in their lives. And God allows that. And they may go all the way to their grave dealing with the effects of that sin in their life. Why does God allow that? Well, he does because it is part of his punishment for their sin, but it's also a constant reminder to them not to go back there. Now, I have to make a confession to you. I don't always make the wisest food choices. One of the things that I really like are these fiery hot Doritos. Some of you probably enjoyed those before. Now think about those fiery hot Doritos. If you eat too many of them, you're going to be paying for it. At least I am. I, uh, they, they make some serious comebacks after I've eaten too many of them. But you know, that only lasts for a little while. And then you're like, okay, I'm doing all right now. That was a few days ago. I'm not feeling that pain right now. And the next time I buy one of those bags of chips, I'll have a tendency to eat the same number of them again. But imagine, though, if the the pain of the heartburn that came from eating all those fiery Doritos continued for the rest of my life. I would not be eating a lot of fiery Doritos. Why? Because that heartburn that I got from eating too many of them is a constant pain and a constant reminder of what that did to me. And so it is how God may allow the effects of our sin as a crook in our lot to keep us from going back there. And so God may use that crooked work for the purpose of correction Let's consider one more tonight, and then we will next week, Lord willing, continue thinking of the ways that God uses the crooked things in life, the painful providences. Number five would be restoration. God may use the painful providences, his crooked work, to restore us to himself. I'm thinking here of the, of the believer who has wandered. 
the believer who has walked away, the believer who has gone and backslidden. God may use these painful things in life to bring us back to where we need to be. I'll give you an example of this. Turn with me to Luke 15. Luke chapter 15. You'll recognize this story as soon as you get there. Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories. Parable of lost sheep, parable of lost coin, and parable of a lost son. We have a tendency to call this parable of the lost son the parable of the prodigal son because of the manner in which the son lived his life after he left his father. Well, let's go through the story again. Chapter 15, verse 11, a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. By the way, you may have heard this before, but this is not just saying, hey, I'd like my cut of the family inheritance. It goes beyond that. This was not something that was due to this son until his father was dead. In effect, he is saying, I care, Father, more about my inheritance than I care about you. You might as well be dead to me as long as I can get my stuff. And so he says, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so his father does this. He divides to them his livelihood. Verse 13, not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. We don't use that word prodigal very much anymore, but the idea is wasteful and extravagant. He's been given his cut of the family fortune, and he simply uses it on crazy living. Verse 14, when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. He goes from having everything to having nothing. He goes from being the center of the life of the party the one that everyone would gravitate to, to the one that everyone refused. He spent everything, and then there's a severe famine. In verse 15, so he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Okay, so this one who was an heir to the father is now in such a severe state that he joins himself to a citizen of that country. And guess what he does? He sends him into the fields to feed swine, to feed his pigs. What's a big deal about that? How many Jewish people do you know that are feeding pigs? And that's how low this young man has gotten. He's feeding pigs. In verse 16, as if that weren't bad enough, he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. He is so hungry that he would, he would gladly have eaten the pig slop. And no one gave him anything. But look what happens. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. 
and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And his son said to me, he begins, or son said to him, he starts to say this rehearsed speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father interrupts him before he can say, just make me like one of your servants. And the father says to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, put sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they begin to be merry. What was it that brought the young man to the point where he knew he had to go back to the father? It was that crook in the lot. It was that painful providence. It was the results, in this case, of his own sin. But how often does God bring that chastisement, God bring that into our lives so that we can be restored to fellowship with God? And see, if we respond to it properly, we find ourselves reconciled again with God, our backslidings forgiven, once again, enjoying peace in our relationship with the Father. And turn with me to the book of Hebrews, just to reinforce this point, if I could. The book of Hebrews Chapter 12. God, God's purpose of restoring us is to restore us to fellowship with him so that we may grow in holiness, so that we may grow to be more like him. Look at verse 4. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 4, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. By the way, that's a powerful statement there. This is how seriously we should take our fight with sin, that we would be willing to shed blood in fighting against that corruption that is within us. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? And live. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the, for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. There are many things that we could say about this passage. But notice, God has a purpose of chastening, not just to discourage us, not just to beat us down, 
but rather to bring us into a, part, into a place where we are partakers of his holiness, where we are restored to fellowship with him and we begin to take upon him his character. See, friends, God has a purpose in our pain. He doesn't, as one author has said, waste a single tear. If you are his child, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, this is true for you. And so what do we do with this? Well, again, let me bring you back to this idea of our ongoing application. It is vital that we trust that God has a purpose in our experience of painful providence. It is vital that we consider God's purpose in our experience of painful providence. So we go through the difficult times. It's a good thing to ask, okay? What is this trial revealing about me? Am I, by my response, showing that I'm a true believer? Is it revealing the genuineness of my faith? Or is it revealing that I am not actually a believer? If it's revealing that I am not actually a believer, perhaps this very thing would reveal to me and point me to Jesus, who alone is my salvation. It might move us to say, is this painful providence something that God is using to convict me of sin in my life? Is there some area of sin that I am allowing to go unchecked, unconfessed, unrepented of? Is God using this in my life to convict me of that sin. You might ask, is God in this correcting or punishing me for this sin? Is God by this moving me to remain faithful to him and not go back to that? And then you might ask yourself, is this the means by which God would restore me to himself? God loves his kids. God loves his people. And even when he brings that painful providence into your life, it is purposeful. Trust that he has a purpose. Consider what is at what purpose is God at work on in your painful providence and submit to him as he works in your life. Peter will say, submit yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Amen.